The first gift we seek from the Gospels is growth in intimacy with him. The rest depends on that. Welcome to Every Knee Shall Bow, your seasonal Catholic podcast on evangelization and discipleship. I'm Mike Gomer-Gormley, and I'm here to walk you through the essentials of what it means to follow Christ as a Catholic disciple. Let's begin. All right, folks, last week we did an examination of consciousness. We looked at various crises in the world and in the church that stand in opposition to our faith in Jesus Christ and our discipleship. They stand in the way because they make Christ less real. We reduce Jesus to his kindness. We reduce Jesus to just seeing him and our neighbor, or we reduce Jesus to our theological diagrams. But we aren't seeing the real Jesus. We can only do that if, through faith, we encounter him again and again in the Gospels and in prayer. What did this man, not what does the divine nature mean or what does the humanity of Christ mean? Those are important questions, but they only serve to support the primary question. When God became man, what did this man actually say? What did he actually do? What did he actually feel? How did he respond? That is what makes him real. This week's question is, how did Jesus himself pray? How did he model it for his disciples? And then how did he explicitly teach his disciples to pray? So if we're talking about Christian discipleship, we need to understand this in a very real way because prayer is uh, kind of important. In fact, I would say that the two pillars of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is nothing less than encountering him in the gospels, which is why at mass we read the gospels and in our personal prayer and liturgical prayer. So prayer and the gospels, this is where we see the face of Jesus Christ. So many Catholic disciples say, well, how do I know what Christ wants? Okay. You have to choose to follow him. You have to choose to not be afraid to waste time with our Lord. As St. Augustine said, man is a beggar before God. We need the personal knowledge of Jesus Christ himself. As the catechism puts it, this is living the mystery of faith and in a vital and personal relationship with the living and true God. And this relationship is prayer. That's how the catechism starts off talking about prayer. This vital relationship with God is prayer. So if you're serious about him, we need to do a character study of Jesus when it concerns prayer. So we want to unite our mission of being a disciple of Christ as is displayed in the gospels and especially draw deeper from the wellspring of his life of prayer and how he taught his disciples to pray. So there's a lot of confusion when it comes to Christian prayer. Some of us have a tendency to over-intellectualize prayer, and some of us evaluate it solely on the emotions that prayer or a prayer experience can produce. Some of us focus on books and reading of memorized prayers and the reciting of memorized prayers, whereas others only find value in those things that are spontaneous. So if Christ is being dimmed in our modern world, which is what the last episode was about, and he's being dimmed, the light of Christ is being turned down in the church, how can we turn up the brightness for our Savior and our King? Well, that is through the Gospels and through the Gospel notion of prayer. Most Catholics just don't have a really strong prayer life. 
The Catechism of the Catholic Church reiterates that our relationship is prayer with Jesus Christ. Our relationship with God is only as strong as our prayer life. To pray is to breathe. So let's return to our homeboy, Frank Sheed, and listen to what he said. And when he talks about looking at the Gospels and understanding the Gospels as a good and trustworthy guide, he says this, the first gift we seek from the Gospels is growth in intimacy with him. The rest depends on that. And so from this, we know that making a study of his character is going to yield for us a whole bunch of fruit when it comes to prayer. So how does Jesus model prayer for the disciples and how did he explicitly teach it? Let's first start with the modeling of prayer. One of the things that we need to remember is that both Jesus and his apostles were raised in the context of the old covenant world of prayer. We're talking feast days and pilgrimages, the rituals that they did in their home life the life of the synagogue, the worship, the sacrificial worship of the temple. Not only that, but there were the various stages in the Old Testament of revelation that molded their prayer. But also we can start with the common human experience, the universal call to prayer, because man is a praying animal. All of us are searching for God as we are made in his image. We may forget our creator, hide from him, run after idols, even accuse God of abandoning us, but God still pursues us. And we see this in the creation covenants. We see the offerings of Abel's firstlings of his flock, uh, Enosh's invoking of the divine name. We see Enoch walking with God and Noah too. In the age of the patriarchs of old, we see sacrifices on high places, altars on mountaintops, and God calling out to his people. But in particular, we see Abraham. And that's where the faith of the Jew is molded into one of expectant faith and obediential faith. Abraham gave us this faithful response to God's commands. Abraham obeyed God in faith. That is, he trusted his commands would be for his good. Abraham was attentive of heart, which is essential to prayer. So let's put that down. Not only are we essentially a praying animal, not only is our early creation days all steeped in prayer and sacrifice to God, but Abraham gives us the faithful prayer, the prayer of an attentive heart. Abraham's grandson, Jacob, whose name would be changed to Israel, shows us the struggle of, of true prayer, right? He famously wrestles an angel of the Lord from sundown to sunrise for what? We might remember that he's wrestling, but he wrestled to receive a blessing. And this is symbolic, the catechism tells us, of the Christian notion of the battle of prayer. But in this Old Testament contending with God is what the actual name Israel means. He who contends with, strives with, wrestles with God. And that too is a part of prayer. Okay, now we look at Moses. Moses' prayer is that of a mediator and intercessor. So we go with obedient faith and, and an attentive heart with Abraham to the wrestling and the battle of prayer with Jacob to the intercession prayer of Moses. In Exodus 33, 11, I love this phrase. It says that Moses prayed face to face with God as a man speaks to a friend when he prayed in the tabernacle. Scripture also says that Moses was very humble. He was the most humble man in all the earth, right? You got to love that line. I've said that about myself. No one believes it. He had to be humble when he's running with Israel because they never miss an opportunity to grumble against God. We just got that in Sunday's reading. God, Moses says to God, how long must I bear with these people? I think they're about to stone me, right? This is where Moses, now this is the next part that's so fascinating. This is his humility and intercession coming together in a leader. Moses had to stand in the breach as a mediator 
after the golden calf incident to save his people from the wrath of God. So powerful. We also have the prophetic witness. We have the prophets, especially in Elijah, calling people out to holiness, to return to righteousness, to the judgment of God. This is continuously a call to Israel, especially in her kings and their courts and their wealthy and their exalted. And, and especially in Ezekiel, a huge criticism of how the externals of temple worship had become corrupted, that their hearts were far from God. That they were doing all the rituals, but they knew not and loved not the God of Israel. The Psalms. Now, the Psalms are fascinating because Jesus quotes from the Psalms uh, more than any other book alongside Deuteronomy and Isaiah. Those are the top three books he quotes. The Psalms are not just a collection of prayers that were used in the temple, but like I said earlier, they're the Psalm of Ascents. These are the things that people prayed as they journeyed up to Jerusalem. There were prayers that they prayed ritually in their homes. And so the Psalms is the prayer book of the Bible, and it formed generation of Jews to pray. We're not just talking on feasts, but also daily and weekly in the homes, on pilgrimages, wherever. They were a deep, deep part of the average Jewish man's life. So from this, we can see how the disciples were already formed as good Jews in a life of prayer. Their heroes of the Old Testament communicated prayer that it must be faithful. It must be humble. It must be attentive at heart and respond to what God is asking. It has to be unafraid to wrestle with God, even in the midst of our lack of understanding God's will. It must also be interceding, intercession for sinners. It must lead to one's ever-deepening conversion. And it is handy. It is so very handy when we have the beautiful written words of the Psalms, that these things can form us as well. I mean, in fact, it did form the church because the the great Psalter, the divine office, the liturgy of the hours are just the attentive praying of the book of Psalms. Monks in the early days of the church would pray all 150 Psalms every single day. Now in the new covenant, Prayer is still this living relationship of the children of God with their father, who is, as the catechism says, I love this phrase, who is good beyond measure. The catechism also reminds us that as disciples, we need to see that Jesus learned to pray with a human heart, that the humanity of Jesus learned and was cultivated in the prayer life of the temple and the synagogue in Nazareth through the life and rhythms of Judaism in his day. But on top of all of the Jewishness of Jesus, the catechism rises, we have something utterly new. We have the secret sauce of Jesus's prayer life, which is his sonship. This is how the catechism puts it. The drama of prayer is fully revealed to us in the word who became flesh and dwells among us to seek to understand his prayer through what his witness proclaims to us in the gospel is to approach the Holy Lord Jesus as Moses approached the burning bush, first to contemplate him in prayer, then to hear how he teaches us to pray in order to know how he hears our prayer. So Moses first saw the burning bush, then he approached and received God's voice from the burning bush, and then he went out and lived that mission. Okay, so what we need to do is fulfill what Catechism of the Catholic Church 2598 says. The drama of prayer is fully revealed to us in the word which became flesh. Now what we want to do is look at the example of our Lord and how he models prayer. So first, his prayer was through the rhythms of Judaism, through his human heart that grew and learned, and 
through his divine filiation. These are the three principles that we need to keep in our head, the secret sauce of his divine sonship. So number two, Jesus prays with the Holy Spirit, right? He invokes the Holy Spirit. He prays with the Holy Spirit before every major moment of his ministry and when he has to make major decisions. So for instance, baptism, his own baptism in the River Jordan, the transfiguration, his passion, he goes out in prayer. Also his decisions like the election of the 12, he spends all night in prayer before Peter's confession of faith in Matthew 16. Jesus spends time in prayer and Jesus declares that he will pray that he has prayed for Peter, that his faith won't fail. And when he turns again to come and strengthen the brethren in Luke 22, the number three, Jesus, when he prays, he is often in solitude. It's usually on a mountain and it's usually at night. For instance, in Mark 1 34, Mark 6 46 and Luke 5 16, he goes off into a lonely place. Jesus, number four, Jesus includes all men in his prayers. He prays for his brethren. He sympathizes with their weaknesses in order to free them. His words and his works, the catechism says, are the visible manifestation of his prayer in secret. So the solitude prayer informs his ministry that from this center, he then goes and speaks and preaches thing I got to keep remembering is do I okay catechism 2601 he was praying in a certain place and when he had ceased one of his disciples said to him Lord teach us to pray this is in Luke 11 1 seeing the master at prayer the disciple of Christ also wants to pray like imagine this they're all Jewish men who were all raised in the same Old Testament Old Covenant way of praying Judaism and the rhythms of Judaism was very much alive to all of them, but there was something different about the way Jesus prayed and they needed to know that Lord teach us to pray in seeing the master at prayer. The disciple of Christ also wants to pray by contemplating and hearing the son, the master of prayer, the children learn to pray to the father. In fact, if you look at the sermon on the Mount, Matthew six, five, six, and seven, you will see that Jesus says things like give alms in secret. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. When you pray, go in your room and shut the door and pray in secret. Now, every single time he says this, but he ends it with for your father who hears you in secret or who sees you in secret will reward you. So what's the interpretive key of the Sermon on the Mount is it's not just this is how you become a faithful Jew. It's this is how you live your sonship in Christ Jesus. The interpretive key is the fatherhood of God and the sonship of Jesus Christ. Now, there are about three explicit prayers that Jesus offers. Each one begins with thanksgiving. The first one is the blessing of God for revealing the kingdom of heaven to little ones, right? The second one is at the raising of Lazarus. I love it. He starts off by saying, I thank you for hearing me, Lord. You always hear me. But one of the things that you can kind of realize when you do a character study of Jesus at prayer is that phrase, you always hear me. This implies that Jesus always prays in this manner. He starts off thanking God for answering his prayer before he even prays it. That's true filial faith. All right. In John 17, we have a very unique prayer. It's kind of carved out from the other two. This is his high priestly prayer. It's very important. Four times he says, I and the father are one. Let them be one father as you and I are one. Now, it's very important for us to take these moments when we say, I, I have no idea how to pray, to slow down and listen 
with the eyes of a Simon Peter or the eyes of a Bartholomew and say, okay, Jesus, how did you pray? And to read over these prayers and to just seep in them, right? Because when we do, we can model our prayer after him. It's not just about repeating. It's about modeling. Now, we also have what has been known throughout the Christian tradition as the seven last words of Christ crucified. This was best given to us by Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, and uh, his meditations on the seven last words are just are truly incredible. So I would encourage you on Good Friday, on Passion Sunday, to slow down and go and Google the seven last words. And if you don't have any of his books, which, you know, the seven last words or the seven last words and the Beatitudes, these are books that you should buy about Fulton J. Sheen. They'll take you 30 minutes to read, but they are deeply edifying. Note what Christ says at his last moments. When you hear someone's last, the last words they speak on their deathbed are probably the most profound words anyone will ever say. So let's look at the most profound teacher and preacher and see what he has to say. And then finally, when Jesus prays, God actually answers all of the prayers of Jesus in one sovereign act known as Easter Sunday. The resurrection is the radical affirmation that Christ is indeed the Son of God. So this is how Jesus modeled prayer. Next, what I want to do is talk about how Jesus teaches us explicitly on how to pray. Okay, so number one, Jesus gives us in the Gospels explicit teachings because he's building on old covenant forms. So for instance, number two, when we want to break down the Sermon on the Mount, you can listen to those parts of the Sermon on the Mount that deal with our relationship with God. Number one, Jesus focuses on conversion of heart, right? You can look at any man who looks with lust on a woman has committed adultery with her in his heart. So what he cares is not about the external act alone, but what causes that external act, namely our interior desires that also need to be converted. Jesus focuses on the inner man, reconciliation with your brother before you offer the gift on the altar in the temple. He says that we are to love our enemies, that we are to pray for persecutors, that we're to pray to the Father in secret, that when we pray, don't just heap up empty phrases thinking, God will hear me for my many words. No, your Father is already listening. Remember, Jesus says, Father, you always hear me. If you thank God before you pray for hearing you, then guess what? Probably your tendency to heap up empty phrases is going to be nil, right? We also must have prayerful forgiveness from the depths of our heart. How can we beg Christ for mercy and forgiveness if we refuse to be merciful? Prayer also concerns purity of heart and that we must seek first the kingdom of heaven. This is our interior desires being ordered so that when we enter into a vital relationship with Christ, this is already taking place in our hearts by God's grace. That I'm not just praying at, you know, 9.03 a.m. and 9.03 p.m. I don't know why I'm saying 9.03, but I'm not just praying at these certain times. My life is being ordered towards the kingdom. That's what Christ wants. That's the conversion of heart. Once converted, the heart of a disciple must move to faith. And faith, as the catechism describes it, is filial adherence. In fact, they actually go through a handful of these. Filial adherence, meaning I cling to my father. Jesus opens up the pathway to God the Father. In Mark eleven twenty four, we have the fourth thing, which is not just filial adherence. I love God as a father. He is my father. All fatherhood in heaven and on earth is derived from the father in heaven, right? 
but also filial boldness. Jesus teaches us to be bold in his name. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you will receive it and you will. This is the boldness, right? We don't deserve to be in God's presence, but God has invited us. So go therefore boldly into his presence. Now, Jesus also says, not everyone who calls on me, Lord, Lord, will be saved, but only those who do the will of my heavenly father. So think about this prayer number five. So number one is the gospel gives us explicit teaching on prayer and it builds on old covenant forms. Number two is the sermon on the Mount that insists on conversion of heart and order toward the kingdom. Number three is filial adherence. Number four is filial boldness. Number five is faithfulness in prayer. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord will be saved. Calling on God in prayer will be answered, but only to those whose hearts are disposed to doing the will of the father who sent us. Not everyone who calls on me, Lord, Lord will be saved, but only those who are doing the will of my heavenly father. Number six, we have the prayer of watchfulness. Jesus multiple times talks about being the watchman on the walls or watchfulness. And this is the phrase that needs to stir up our hearts, especially when we hear it in mass. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus says this in Mark chapter one. Jesus says this repeatedly, but that's how he proclaimed the gospel initially. The kingdom of God is at hand. So watchfulness means being attentive to him, to he who is and who comes again, right? Where is Jesus now in my life? Where is Jesus moving in my life? Where is Jesus in the life of my enemy, my neighbor, my coworker, this situation, right? Keeping watch is a language of defense, right? We are on the lookout for our Lord, but it's also a a battle language, right? Because prayer is a battle that we saw in the Old Testament forms with Jacob. Prayer is a struggle and a striving. There's a whole section in the catechism called On the Battle of Prayer, written by Metropolitan Jean Corbon, who was uh, in Lebanon, in Beirut in the 80s, and his apartment was getting shelled by separatist forces during the Civil War there, And he is writing in the basement by candlelight, the fourth part of the catechism. So he's writing the battle of prayer while people are literally shelling his house. Okay. So prayer is watchfulness. Now we have the three explicit parables on Christian prayer. And I want to go through this. Uh, In Luke 11, we have the Lord's prayer, but then following that, we have a parable. He says, here's the prayer. He said to them, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, Lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing set before him and he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me and in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given you seek and you will find knock and it will be open to you for everyone who asks receives he who seeks finds and him who knocks it will be opened now just when you think wow so god the father is not going to listen to my prayer unless i badger him jesus offers the filial corrective what father among you if his son asks for a fish will instead of a fish give him a serpent or if he asks for an egg will give him a scorpion if you then who are evil i mean that's got a sting right If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Okay, that's the perseverance in prayer. The next one is the parable of the widow and the unjust judge, also known as the parable of the importunate widow. 
And he told them a parable to the effect. Now, I love this. The first sentence gives you the interpretation. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor regarded man. There was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, vindicate me against my adversary. For a while, he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will vindicate her or she will wear me out by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God vindicate his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will vindicate them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? So the question is, will he find people who pray and not lose heart day and night? Lastly, the parable right after that is brilliant. He also told this parable, obviously it's brilliant, it's a parable from Jesus. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. So Luke is offering us the commentary right at the very beginning, the interpretive clue, right? Those who pray, trusting in ourselves and our own righteousness and despising others. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One is a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And then right after that, Jesus blesses the little children. Let the children come unto me and do not hinder them for such belong the kingdom of God. Okay. So right now we have the explicit teaching in the parables of Jesus on prayer. When Christ teaches us, he is openly entrusting to us the mystery of prayer to the father. And he reveals to us and to them what this prayer must be. As a disciple, the new thing is asking in the name of the son, in the name of Jesus. And this means that we do this through radical Christian faith. And this faith must bear fruit in love. We must keep the words of Jesus. But Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is that Abrahamic docility that we have to be humble enough to realize that maybe we don't have it all together. But also with that Abrahamic notion, we have to be attentive within our hearts to say, okay, maybe there's a part of my heart that is ordered to something that God himself does not find pleasing. So if I just say, oh, well, I'm just going to look in Jesus in my own heart. I know that he would love me, that as a sinner, like Jesus would accept me. The problem is this. We look in our own hearts and we find our own desires. When we look in the gospels and we turn to Christian prayer, we find Christ's own desires. So we must keep the words. If we love Jesus, we must keep his words and his commandments. We must abide with the father and he will abide in us. And Jesus's filial prayer, our father opens for us the way to the father. So think about this. Don't think of Christian prayer first and foremost as the words I say, Oh, do you got this book? Oh no, I use that book. Oh, I don't use a book. 
Right. Okay. Settle down. What we need to do is we need to see in Christ, one, that filial adherence. He's a son and he clings to the father. The boldness. He's unafraid to ask great things of the father because he's asking for the glory of the father. He's watchful. He's faithful. But more than all of this, he's abiding in God the father. He's aware. He's attuned. He's attentive of heart to the presence of God. Brothers and sisters, our certitude as disciples of Jesus Christ, our certitude in getting our petitionary prayers answered, our certitude of faith comes only from our union with the Son. Our prayers are answered because the prayer of Jesus was answered. This is how we know our petitions will be answered. The Father promises another counselor that puts within us the spirit of Jesus Christ, the beloved of the Father. So when we pray this filial prayer, filial boldness, all the things that anoint Christ, he's pouring that into our hearts. All right, we're going to have our closing remarks coming up soon. We're going to throw it out to a commercial break to Ascension Press. I want to remind everyone to text EKSB to 33777. We'll get you on our mailing list so we can continue to walk in Christian discipleship. We'll be right back. Hi, my name is Father Mike Schmitz. I am the host of the Catechism in a Year podcast. If you've been following along with us, you know that God's plan for us is a plan of sheer goodness, that he wants to bring us into a relationship with him. You know that already. One of the ways that God actually brings us into this relationship and keeps us, sustains us in this relationship is through the sacraments. Again, you might know that already. You might further know that so many of us miss out on the beauty and the power of the sacraments. But Ascension has an answer to this. Ascension has created two new programs. One is called Renewed, Your Journey Towards First Reconciliation. The second is Received, Your Journey Towards First Holy Communion. We know that our youth, they're our future. And yet at the same time, it's so hard oftentimes to reach them with this incredible news of God's love for them in reconciliation, God's love for them in the Eucharist. If you wanna check out Ascension's new program, renewed your journey towards first reconciliation and received your journey towards first communion, go to ascensionpress.com and sign up for a free preview. All right. And we are back. Hope you take advantage of the great offers and uh, the wonderful content that Ascension Press is producing day and night. The stuff they do is just incredible and it's such a blessing to the church. Uh, I wanted to come back to this notion of the Lord's Prayer. Obviously, we know that in Luke 11, 1, when the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, he taught them the Our Father. But let's just spend a little bit more time in the context of that. He was praying in a certain place, and when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So that is the truncated Luke-only version of the Our Father. But think about the ordering of the Our Father and pray it with me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The first half of the Our Father is about rightly ordering first our identity, then our destiny. Our identity. We are sons and daughters of the Father in Christ Jesus. That's not only why we call God Father. He's not like a father. He is a father. But also, that's why we have the supreme privilege and honor because of Jesus. 
and because of our baptism, to say our Father. Our Father is huge. Not just Jesus' Father, but in Christ, if I am in him, then guess what? His Father is now my Father. This is why prayer and abiding in God, in Christ Jesus, living in a state of grace, which is also called the state of charity, if I live my sanctifying grace, I'm abiding in God and God is abiding in me. I'm in a real relationship with the God of the universe. And he is the one that I say, may your name be holy. Now, when we say this, our father who art in heaven, meaning the things of this earth, though good, are but a passing shadow of the glories to be revealed to the sons and daughters of God. So what we want to do is have our hearts set on the kingdom of heaven. This is the watchfulness that being in this outpost, this behind enemy lines territory that so often is this world, that we have to have true watchfulness and enter into the battle of Christian prayer. But also our heart should be oriented upward and outward to him, the father. And so our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We want to make his name holy in everything we do. Right now, his name is holy in heaven. His name is holy uh, not so much here on earth, especially the way we take the Lord's name in vain. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the great work of evangelization of the missions. This is it. To bring his name into holiness on our lips, in our heart, in our minds, throughout the ends of the earth. Now, when we look at the second half of the Our Father, what we encounter is the ordering of the needs that the children of God have while on earth and not in heaven, right? Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. So we don't want to be led into temptation, not that God himself leads us, but we need his grace so as to be liberated from these temptations. And the evil that we're fighting is not just some generalized like lack of human flourishing. It is the alignment of the evil one against us. So when we talk about praying, it's not just vague evil. There is an adversary of our soul that we need to act like the importunate widow and beg God day and night for a just verdict against our adversary, the Satan that comes us. The word satanus means uh, the adversary. It means the one who is accusing us, the accuser. So with all this being said, we need to understand the sick quote from St. Augustine that drives its, its, its full power from being a disciple of Jesus Christ. The Gospels reveal that he, and this is the quote from St. Augustine, he prays for us as our priest. He prays in us as our head and is prayed to by us as our God. Therefore, let us acknowledge our voice in him and his in us. God bless y'all and persevere in prayer. And for your homework, I want you to move from the gospel of Mark to the gospel of Luke for the next three weeks. Take it slow. Take it easy. Be attentive to the details. God bless. 